But my name's Dave, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, obviously, if you're a Westsider, then we're, you know, we're like family, and so we know each other. But if you're a guest here, uh, it's good to, good to be here and good to share in this moment. Let me ask you a question. What's, what's a mark? Like, what, what are some of the marks of Christmas, of a Christmas season? Like you say, like, you can't go through a Christmas season without what? What would you say? Bills? Bills? <laughs> family? Snow? Oh, here. You know, I don't think that happens in Hawaii, but yeah, but that's true. I always, when I see Christmas pictures in sunny places of the world, and I, and it just doesn't work. But anyways, um, anything else? Marks of, of this season? Food. Food? Good mark of the season. One more. Panettone. Who said that? That's good. <laughs> nice. So, well, I mean, nobody said music. I mean, music, I mean, think about music, right? Music, you can't, it's hard to have Christmas without music. Tonight, we had carols. The malls, I mean, it's hard to shop for Christmas if Christmas music isn't on, unless you're really good and you're shopping in June. Uh, But think about it. What would a Christmas movie be without Christmas music in the background, right? I mean, it wouldn't, wouldn't seem right. And uh, think about that for a second. And tonight, what we're going to do is instead of going back to the story of Christmas, we're going to focus on one of the most famous pieces of music that we use at Christmas. One of the most famous carols. What do you think one of the most famous carols of Christmas would be? Or what's your favorite? White Christmas? Jingle Bells? Handel's Messiah? Silent Night? Jingle House Rock? One of those? I don't know. One of the most famous Christmas songs of all time, most widely published carol in the 20th century by far, um, was published in over 1,300 what they used to call hymnals. So in churches, if, if you, maybe you're part of a church that uses a hymnal, maybe you're part of a church that uses a screen, or maybe you don't go to church, but they used to use hymnals, and, and hymnals used to have these songs and used to sing them. And 1,300 different editions of different hymnals held this song. Now think about it. Each edition was probably sold to hundreds of churches that had hundreds of people times 1,300. That's a lot. That was like viral before Facebook came around. And so... The most popular song has been Joy to the World. Most popular song, most published song of all time. It's been performed by tons of people. 1964 was performed by the Supremes. I think they're on the screen. Uh, It was performed by Whitney Houston in the movie The Preacher's Wife. It was performed by Mariah Carey. Uh, It was performed by the Jonas Brothers. And for those of you who are under 12, it was performed by the Chipmunks as well. And so, I mean, it's been recorded over and over again, tons of albums and sheet music and on the uh, sheet music, not sheet music, um, all that kind of stuff. But here's a history of the song. And this is what we're going to do tonight. We're going to actually just look at this song and say, like, what's the message of the song? This guy by the name of Isaac Watts in the year 1719, so almost 300 years ago, penned the lyrics to Joy to the World. And this guy, Isaac Watts, interesting character, a musician, poet, writer, he basically, he was fed up of church music. He hated church music. He, he just thought they just kind of took the words out of the Bible and tried to make music with it. And he thought, it just doesn't work. You got to edit it a bit and fix it up. So he was tired of, of church music, and he thought he would write some different kinds of songs. And he became one of the most prolific songwriters of his century uh, for the church. And he eventually penned the words to joy to the world, based on the psalm we read earlier, Psalm 98. It's all about joy. 
Then this guy about 80 years later named Lao Masson in 1839, he put Isaac Watts' lyrics to music. And he used another famous composer, which Stephanie had mentioned, Handel's Messiah, George Frederick Handel, one of the most accomplished composers of his century, um, wrote a famous piece that's often sung and performed at operas or symphonies called Handel's Messiah. And so Lowell Masson used a melody line from Handel's Messiah and took Isaac Watts's words and meshed it together and created what we know as, hey, what we know as um, Joy to the World. It's a famous carol, but here's the deal. Don't be shocked by this. Joy to the World has nothing to do with Christmas. It's, he never wrote it as a Christmas carol. The song Joy to the World uh, never had that theme. And so what we're going to do tonight, we're going to walk through it and just find out, like, well, if it's not about Christmas, what's it about? And is there any connection to Christmas with Joy to the World? So here's Isaac Watts. He wasn't writing about Jesus' birth. When he penned the words, Joy to the World, the Lord is come, he was writing about Jesus' second coming. If, if you know anything about the Bible, or you've read the Bible story, when you get to the end of the story, the end of the Bible story announces that God will make all things right one day. The idea of God's future will come together when his vision for humanity will finally take place. And so when Watts penned those words, joy to the world, the Lord is come, he was talking about the second coming of the Son of God when God would make all things right. And when he penned those words, he had this future in mind. And he actually wrote the song as if he was in the future. It sounds like the present tense, but he's writing about the future. So think about the words. I'm just going to use some of the lyrics from the words, and they'll come on the screen as we walk along this. Joy to the world, The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. This song describes Jesus as Lord and Jesus as king. Well, what does a king do? Well, the second verse tells us at the beginning, the second verse says, joy to the world, the savior reigns. Well, what do kings do? Kings reign, kings rule. In other words, God will make everything right one day because God will rule the world and the future as king. Now, maybe you're thinking, I I don't want a king. I mean, kings in our centuries are a little, you know, iffy, shady characters. We think kings wouldn't make sense today, and we would probably equate them with maybe corrupt politicians or Wall Street executives. You know, like, what's this deal of a monarchy? That sounds too much like a dictatorship or something like that. But here, Watts describes the future that God has in his mind and heart that one day Jesus will come and he will rule as king. But the question is, if if he's going to rule as king, I mean, what kind of king is he going to be? Is he going to be a good king? Is he going to be a bad king? And Watts answers the question. And in verse 4, he writes these words. He says, he rules the world. And this is how he's going to rule, with truth and grace. You know, one of the the gospel accounts uh, in, in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, describes that when Jesus came the first time, that he was coming, and these are, these are the words John uses. He would come in truth and in grace. That's how Jesus would come. When God sent his son to the world, and Jesus starts speaking and teaching, and people start discovering who he is, the writers of his story, his biography says, he came in this fashion, in truth and in grace. 
And Watts says when he comes the second time, he's going to rule the world in the same way, with truth and with grace. So what kind of king is that? Man, truth is awesome because if, a, if someone rules with truth, he's upright, he's just, he's honest, he's led by convictions. When someone leads with grace, they're loving and humble and caring. So what kind of king would Jesus be? What kind of future would that look like? He'll be the kind of king that anyone would want to live under because under his rule, there's truth and there's grace. In fact, it, it will be that good that one of Isaac Watts's lines is, the nations will prove the glories of his righteousness, which means justice, and the wonders of his love. That it'll be so wonderful under the reign and rule of Jesus that the nations will, ex- will just declare the glories of his justice and righteousness, the wonders of his love. Now just stop for a second. Doesn't that sound like way better than the year the world has had in 2014? I mean, think about 2014. I mean, we can maybe all say we've had a good year or a bad year. There's been some good things. There's some bad things. There's been progress made in the world, scientific advances, some good things that have taken place. Even in, the, even in alleviating poverty, you know, um, child mortality has gone down. There's some certain things we can say, great, things have gotten better. But then look at the last 12 months. Racial divide is been growing again in certain parts of North America and the world. Examples like Ferguson and the States and others. Extreme religious violence and political extremism and terror. Things like ISIS. Military invasions, nation to nation. Things like Russia and Ukraine. Outbreaks of disease, Ebola in Africa and the implications of that. Young girls being trafficked into slavery and then sold and used, all in 12 months. And when you pause and think about that and say, I wouldn't mind someone who would rule with truth and grace that would lead differently. I long for a world like that. And so the rule of this king will make things right. That's what the song proclaims. His rule will be different, and joy will be the response And you get these lines in the song. Humanity will sing. Men, their songs employ as a response to his leadership. Heaven and nature join the choir and they sing. Rocks, hills, and plains, whatever plains are. We don't know that in Montreal, but if you live somewhere where there's plains, then they'll sing too. But there's this idea that the rocks, hills, and plains are just going to like repeat joy on their iPod. (laughs) Repeat the sounding joy over and over and over again as a response to Oh, wow, man, when the king comes and he leads and rules. See, God doesn't want to leave the world a mess. That's not his desire. Even though sometimes we look at the world and say, oh, can it not be better? And so verse 3 has such a beautiful line. And he penned it so well. It says this, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. I love that. You know, when, if you read the Bible, it's pretty honest. It, it, it shows us the junk that's in people's lives and in our lives and, and in the world. And it reminds us that sin and sorrow exist. It reminds us that, that relationships and business deals sometimes go bad and there's betrayal. It reminds us that sometimes promises are broken. And often life, 
whether individually or globally, can feel like a thorn-infested garden. I think even an atheist would read the Bible and say, yeah, I think the Bible's right on this. There's sometimes feels like a thorn-infested ground. And the Bible describes this as the curse of sin, but not forever. There's this line in the song that says this, that at that time, when the Lord comes, it's, he says this, he comes to make his blessings flow. And, and this is where his blessings flow. I love this line. As far as the curse is found. Wherever the curse has reached, wherever the brokenness has reached, whatever, how far it has gone, that's how far God's blessings will flow. Have you watched the movie Narnia or read the books, Chronicles of Narnia? Awesome. There's, there's this great... You know, when, when you enter into uh, the first movie or the third book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's this, this great uh, moment when Lucy, the little girl, gets into Narnia for the first time, this magical world, and she steps into snow. And, and all the land that she sees in front of her is full of snow. And at first, it's really cool because she came from like a rainy England or something. I don't know where she was from. And, and then she pops into this magical world, and it's beautiful snow. And then her brothers and sisters come, and, and they discover this, and it's, it's wonderful. But then they soon come to realize that Arl of Narnia is filled with snow. And it's not seasonal. It's just been snow after snow after snow after snow. Years of snow. Like, we're cool because we know, like, April and May is coming, and summer will come, and we get the seasons. But this sense in Narnia was, no, 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 the snow's always here. It never going away. And what they discovered is that the witch in this story had placed a curse on Narnia. And it was winter all the time. And the curse reached to every piece of Narnia. Nothing was left untouched until this moment when these kids enter the land. And that was fulfilled this prophecy that as the sons of Adam would come into Narnia, Aslan the big lion in the story and the leader and the ruler, he was now on the move and something revolutionary was going to happen. And they don't meet Aslan yet, but they start to feel his rumble. They start to feel his presence. And the characters in Narnia start to feel like something is changing. And there's this moment in the movie when the kids are having to cross this river because these wolves are, 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 are following them. And then all of a sudden, this ice starts to melt. And they find themselves on this frozen lake. And the, the lake starts to break up. And it's this chaotic moment. But what's going on is the winter is starting to, to subside. Things are starting to melt. And the reason it happens is because Aslan's presence is coming. Think about that for a second because it was a little chaotic for them. They're in this freezing water and on pieces of ice and icicles falling and Sometimes we're like, yeah, this is awesome. Winter's leaving. But in that moment, it felt chaotic. And it was this in-between time when it was like, okay, wait, this is a good thing because Aslan's coming and winter's leaving. But in this moment, it feels chaotic. In this moment, it feels messy. It doesn't feel so great. But things start to eventually bloom. And all of Narnia, the snow melts, the flowers bloom, and Aslan's rule starts to reach as far as the curse is found. And that's where we are. Think about that. Where, what do we feel like today? We're kind of in between that time. 
when we sing Joy to the World, it hasn't happened yet. But we, we know as we read the Christmas story that something has happened. And we're still, but you were still feeling the effect of winter. But something has happened in God's plan that moves us towards this future. I'm going to ask the band to come up as I just share this moment. Think about this. This is this part of Christmas as we just jump back into, into history. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 to 11 says this. Joseph and Mary are approached by an angel, and they're told these words. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is like past Christmas, future joy to the world. And just think for a second. For a while, this part of God's story felt chaotic. Felt chaotic for Joseph and Mary. Felt chaotic for the people that were discovering who this Jesus was and that is he the one who's fulfilling this prophecy? Is he the one that's going to liberate us? Is he the one that's going to free us? The effects of winter are everywhere to be seen. Even as Jesus enters the world for the first time, but God knows how to write an amazing story. And for 33 years, Jesus' birth towards his death and then his resurrection is this climactic shift that takes place. Just like in Narnia when, oh, Aslan's coming back. And a shift takes place in the land. And this amazing turn in the story makes all the struggle worth it. There's another writer. His name is J.R. Tolkien. And his, the movie of The Hobbit's coming out. The third one's coming out in like two days. And he wrote The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And, and Tolkien loved to write fairy tales. And he created a word for this kind of event shift that takes place in a story. And he calls the word, he just created the word, he made it up, it's, it's you catastrophe. So we know what catastrophe is, that's like disaster. You means good, good catastrophe. And he says that every story needs this shift. And he coined the word to describe this sudden happy turn in a story when you get this glimpse of truth. You've, you've, you've noticed it in the story when it happens, and there's this sudden turn in the story, and you get a glimpse of truth, and it pierces you. This is what, what Tolkien says. It pierces you with a joy that brings tears to your eyes. In fact, he says, it's almost like when you have a dislocated bone, and then it pops back into place. It's like, yeah, Rob's smiling. He's like, he's had his shoulder dislocated several times. If you don't know Rob, then that's part of his story. But anyways, if you've ever had a bone dislocated and it's like it pops back into place, you feel that you, okay, this is going to be better now. That's what Tolkien says that happens in the shift in a story. And that's Christmas. The sudden joyous turn in the story of humanity where throughout history, God breaks in and says it's, it might still feel chaotic for a while, but something has happened that's going to change everything. Listen to the team as they sing one more song and then we'll come up and wrap up this evening's. Thank 
what Christmas means. We, we look at joy to the world and that's the future, but think about this for a second. Something already happened. Jesus came. Something is going to happen. Jesus is coming again. But before you leave, just let me leave you this, with this one thought. Something can happen right now because Jesus wants to come into your life today. It's not just about the past. It's not just about the future. It's about today. And Jesus wants you to start experiencing part of that joy now. Let me leave you with one line from Jesus as we come to a close tonight. John 15, 11, here's Jesus telling his closest disciples, and he says, I have told you this, talking about his life, his teachings, the message of the gospel. He says, I have told you this 
so that you, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus longs for us to experience him today. It wasn't just about then, back then. It wasn't just about the future. It's about today. And so these, these two last phrases from the song, and they're familiar to you from Joy to the World, and, and maybe this is just a way that you can take this home with you. Right? It's Joy to the World, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And though Isaac Watts writes that about the future, we can bring that into the present. That's available for us. Jesus makes himself available for us today to receive him. God sent Jesus so we could get close to him. But here's the deal. He never forces himself on us. God never forces himself on us. He never forces Jesus on us. And so the words are appropriate. Let earth receive their king. Let every heart prepare him room. God never forces himself, but he wants us to want him, to receive him. And so one day, as Joy to the World tells us, this king will rule, this king will reign, and the invitation is wide open. But today, here, here it is. Today is our opportunity. Today is your opportunity to receive him, to let him become your king. Man, if, that, if that's you tonight, maybe you're, you're, you know, you're, you're part of our community or maybe you're visiting and you know, you're already, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm following Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm, I, I get this and you're celebrating this. Maybe you're here tonight and someone brought you, a friend brought you, or, or you're, you're just longing for something different this Christmas and you're saying, well, how do I respond to this? Well, the simplest way you can respond is this. Just come back. <laughs> come back and join us. Because the story is so big, you can't tell it in one night. And we're a community that invites people to explore with us. There's no perfect people allowed. And no one who's arrived is ever allowed in because none of us have arrived. And so the first, maybe first response is just come back. Just come back and get to know who Jesus is. Get to know the story of the scriptures with us. Explore with us more about who Jesus is. And your questions are welcome. So that's maybe one response. Maybe the next response is, just get connected. If you feel like I've been longing to get connected with a community of people that will help me understand what faith is, then we, we welcome you to get connected with us. And then lastly, as we just completely close our evening, maybe you just need to begin trusting in Jesus today. Maybe today is the day. And you've heard and you're like, I want to put my trust in Christ. I want to receive Jesus as my king. I want to make room in my life for him. Would you stand as we, we close in prayer and um, just take a moment here to close our evening? As big as the story is, as, as beautiful and profound and wonderful and how immense it is, one of the beautiful things about it is it's also simple. And Jesus invites us that if we would just receive him believe in him, put our trust in him, choose to follow him. And he says, that, that's the doorway into coming into a relationship with me and my father. 
And maybe tonight that's where you're at. And, and, and as we close and wrap up in prayer, I want to just pray for you. And, and if, if your heart is maybe at that point and saying, I want to receive Jesus as king, what that means is I want him to lead my life. Uh, I want him to guide me. Then I invite you to pray with me just for this brief moment. And then we'll all pray together. So if that's you tonight, if you just want to even just begin to, to trust Christ, Maybe just pray these, these words with me. Dear Jesus, I long for something new. I long for the joy that you offer. I long for the way that you want to make the world right because I know that there's things in my life that I need to make right. And I welcome your work. I welcome the vision of restoration for the world. I welcome it in my own heart and life. So just tell you this evening, I trust you. Help me to get to know you. Help me to learn and grow and understand who you are. Pray this in your name. And God, as we're here tonight, all of us, we just celebrate the joy of Christmas. We celebrate the heart message of Christmas. We're so grateful that although joy to the world has taught us that you are doing some amazing things and you're going to bring all things into your plans and purposes, we're so grateful for that, God, but we're also grateful that something already happened and we get to celebrate it. And that was Jesus coming. And we say thank you for that. And we say thank you because it's not about just the past and the future, but it's about today. And we love that you long to know us and for us to know you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.